0: welcome to the school of the word this is lesson 22 in our teaching series as in the days of noah titled houston we've had a problem our teacher is alan smith we do welcome you this morning that's good to be here in the house of the lord and and i do feel like i have a, a truth to continue to bring to you in this teaching on uh, on the scriptures today is a um, it's my prayer that we don't miss our visitation. It's my prayer. Uh, you say, "Well, how could a little church on the side of the road out here in the country have a visitation from the creation creator of the universe?" And I don't think I can tell you this is the type of places He picks. He picks a stable to be born in, and he uh, he dislikes to hang out with regular people, and. Um, I'm trying to get moved up to regular. <laughs> we'll not go into that definition. As in the days of Noah, I want us to look at something today. Uh, as we look at the scripture, I personally believed that the presence of the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit of God, is uh, available more today than it was 20 years ago. I um. But I'm also persuaded that I'm not quite getting it. I'm not quite up to par, quite up to speed at how to, um, to open that truth up and to where I'm living it out. I know it's there, and I am trying my best to live it out. But I also understand that what's going on in the spiritual atmosphere and the atmosphere of the natural atmosphere that we live in, there's more activity now, there's more distraction, there's a lot more going on that is hindering us in walking in more of the fullness of the power of the Spirit of God. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I continually have this problem of pressing, uh, of, of pressing myself beyond where I was yesterday. Uh, at times it seems like I'm more in a survival mode than a pressing mode. And the signs of the times does that, and so we, as believers and Christians on planet Earth, our um, you know, the Scripture says we go from glory to glory, not realizing what's in a glory is a crisis, and it's uh, the glory is inside the amidst the crisis, as is, is, and so as we're going from glory to glory, we're going from crisis to crisis, and so it uh, behooves us to understand that as a true observation and uh, we need to be better equipped but we also need to learn how to walk through these daily crises with greater victory greater authority uh, greater presence the, uh, we, we do read the signs of the time and we look at the signs of the time, but the signs of the time are not to dictate how I feel and operate during the times. And as Christians and as believers, the strength of who we are is to increase. And uh, that is the increase that I'm speaking about of the Holy Spirit. As we increase in our stability of being a Christ follower. Uh, I believe there lies the secret of unlocking this anointing that is available to us in these last days. And it's in light of that, that we're walking through some type of understanding. I've been doing some teaching on PSYOP, psychological warfare, because I believe this is where it is. I believe that's the battleground. Uh, which affects the earth. Now, let's let's look at this. As in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, which that tells us we're persuaded that the second coming of Christ is very near. And we're to encourage each other with that truth. Now, we know the greater sign of the last days, is in Jesus' answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So if you've listened to any of these teachings the last couple of months, we were doing it from this uh, idea, this understanding that the greatest sign of the times is deception. So that being the greatest, uh, I, I've never in my life seen such a smorgasbord, if you will, or such a, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, it's kind of a bar all-you-can-eat, <laughs> you know, food bar of all you can eat of you know a, a buffet of junk food uh, for information that can go into our brains into our minds. It is such a uh, it is I'm, it's I don't say how in the world, humanity is surviving as well as it is. And the flood of information is not decreasing. as anybody knows, it's still increasing. I'm like, how in the world? Does this thing keep accelerating at the flow of, of, of what's called uh, knowledge? Now, anybody ever heard that statement? Houston, now the, the correct statement is Houston, we've had a problem. Uh, most, I think, in the movie, Apollo 13, it was Houston, we have a problem. The actual quote, the quote that was said was uh, Houston, we've had a problem and which being interpreted means they had a problem all along but they just discovered it that's what happened and uh so y'all know the famous uh, this is one of the famous black and white pictures that was taken of that time houston we've had a problem main b bus under volt they weren't getting the voltage that they needed And that just, uh, just so spoke to me when the Holy Spirit brought that up. I spent, I don't know how many hours just studying Apollo 13. And this is actually all I'm going to say about it. But I had to spend all of this time on Apollo 13 of what actually happened and how the, what, what actually happened in Maine B was it didn't have enough power to do what it needed to do. Houston, we got a problem. We don't, we're undervolted. We're not walking in the power that's needed, so therefore we've we've had a problem. We got a problem. And the prophetic word for this morning is, "Church, we got a problem." And so all of a sudden they found themselves in Apollo thirteen. That's an interesting read. Of course, made a great movie several years back. Tom Hanks and some of it. It was just going over this Apollo 13 uh, situation. The phrase, Houston, we have a problem has become popular, being used to account informally the emergency of an unforeseen problem, often with a sense of uh, ironic under, uh, understanding. He goes on in uh, Apollo 13. That was actually April 11th through the 17th, 1970. Was the seventh crew mission in the Apollo space program and the third meant to land on the moon actually because of this problem they did not get to land they orbited the moon and they actually got back safely which was which was nice but but the the concern and I'm not going into all those reasons but the concern that the holy spirit was showing me was they did not get to perform their mission their purpose they had because uh, they'd actually this This undervolt, actually, uh, they hadn't, they basically were carrying a bomb because of an explosion of the, I think it was of an oxygen tank. But it said uh, the craft was launched from Kennedy Space Center on April 11th, 1970, but the lunar landing was aborted after an oxygen tank in the service module failed uh, two days into the mission. So we can see here that they got back safely, but they did not fulfill the purpose of the mission. And I, as I was going through that and the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, it was, it was that, it was like, church, we don't want to be a church and a group of people uh, that are undervolted for our purpose. Now, we might get on home safely, but I don't want to be sitting in heaven knowing that I was undervolted and uh, did not fulfill my purpose. So this is the uh, what the Holy Ghost wanted me to for us to capture this morning. That it could be, but it also can be. We don't have to say, "Houston, we got a problem." There was something. There was a malfunction uh, in the space. Uh, you know, this this one had this orbiter, and then the space uh, capsule, and. then it went back up hooked to the orbiter and then they uh, that was the way the lunar landings worked but that's where they had the problem now deception is an act of spiritual warfare so i want you to see deception is Houston we got a problem that's what that's what deception is it's a deception that's been there for a good while but we've just discovered it so it lets us know that we're going to kind of be uh, as, a, as we see the deception, it's probably going to be around us. We don't need to defend it. We just need to see it and speak into it, so to speak. Now, uh, Some have requested, I'm going to go through uh, just three or four slides here, maybe five, of what I did last week, just a little bit, but I'm really going through it quickly because I don't have much time. So let's look at because I, I want you to get on the same page. We are in a spiritual battle. We're in spiritual warfare. Uh, uh, We are winners of this battle. We are not losers. And there's a way as believers we are to think. You've got to quit waiting on your feelings to catch up with how you need to be thinking. Because the enemy is trying to manipulate you through your feelings. A lot of people don't like to hear what I'm saying here. Uh, A lot of times, you know, as as I've talked with people, they they want me to fix how they're feeling. I'm like, "Ah." (laughs) you know, and it's amazing how many times I tried to, and uh, because you want everybody to live happily ever after, right? But your feelings is is something that's movable; it moves, and your feelings is not the litmus test of truth. Your feelings are not to dictate how you live and how you respond to a crisis. If, uh, if you're in a crisis, you need somebody that's still got their head on them, on their shoulders. You need somebody that can think. And so, as we find ourselves in this spiritual crisis, we need some people that can think. And I understand how a crisis is, and I give everybody five minutes to get their mess together, right? I think that's ample time. Get a hold of yourself. Get your mess together. Yeah, you've probably been mistreated and everything else. Yippee, join the club. Right? So was Christ. And it just so happens that, listen, that obstacle of being mistreated and not done right is what keeps a religious spirit out. Anybody hear what I'm trying to tell you? So you got this thing rises up in our flesh. Well, I've been mistreated. I shouldn't have been done that way. I shouldn't have. Yeah. Well, welcome to planet Earth. That thing is out there. It's a mountain, it's a wall, but you got to walk through it. Because if you're going to fight in spiritual warfare, you got to understand you are not the focal point. And it will only get worse as you are the focal point. One reason you abandon your selfishness is so you're not the vote the focal point. You're, selfishness stinks in the spiritual world. It has an odor, has a smell. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever been around anybody that's really selfish? Or for some of us, have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> it has a it has a stench to it, and it smells. And it never heals. Selfishness never heals. Somebody will not pat you on the back or do whatever enough for your selfishness to be healed. It always smells like rotten flesh. So, as a as prophetic people of God, we got to get our feelings I, there again. It's like I say, I. To have a bad day and have a time you're trying to work through your feelings, I understand every bit of that, and I'm all for it, but you can't stay there because that's not the end of the conversation and how a crisis has made you feel. That is not the end of the day. So keep this in mind. Deception is act of spiritual warfare. Matthew 24, 4, you know the Scripture. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall rise in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There again, the deception is always focused on selfishness. Deception is always focused on selfishness. So as as selfishness, when you understand that selfishness is the place of deception, I'm not saying it's the only place, but I will say it's the greatest place of deception. When you understand the Scriptures and when it's teaching us not to be selfish, well, it's, it's not to, to, to please God. God's trying to save you from selfishness because selfishness draws spiritual flies. they like to land on you and lay eggs. If I'm too graphic, I'm not stopping. And it produces larvae and wiggly things and smelly things. And, and nobody likes to be around you. So, there's a deception going on. It's usually built around uh, selfishness. Uh, there again, church, we have a problem. Now, our problem is we, we're finding ourselves underpowered, for the purpose in which we've been called. Does anybody feel underpowered? Yeah. We're underpowered. But I am convinced that it's available. It's not cheap. It's not free. It's going to cost you all of your selfishness. You're going to have to call your feelings uh, into correction. You're going to have to you're going to have to strap in, step up to the call of God on our purpose and why we're here. All right, here we go. Psyops, just a little refresher. Let no man deceive you with vain words, it says. We're understanding now that there's a lot of vain words going on out here. The goal is to control the narrative. Now, what the enemy's wanting to do is whoever controls the narrative controls the person or the country. You have a narrative in your life, a narrative in your heart. You have conversations going on inside of you all the time. It's called a narrative. Your narrative controls your life. If you don't get that, the rest of this teaching will do no good. Your internal dialogue is the narrative in which controls your life. That is not an option. So a man thinketh, so is he. It is not an option, church. Did I say it wasn't an option? It is so not an option. As Christians, we tend to pick and choose and think things in the Word of God are optional. They are not optional. Now, understand the internal dialogue, the internal narrative. The battle is for who controls the narrative of your mind and our country. So you can look out now on today on TV, whoever's controlling this narrative. That, that's the reason that the media, the, uh, the media that's out here now, why is it trying to control? Why is everybody trying to, why are we having a, uh, uh, what can I say? Uh, come on in, everybody. Glad to have you here today. Praise God. Why, why is there such a fight? Over the narrative, does it, do y'all realize there's a fight over a narrative? All right, the battleground is the narrative. Now, sometimes we'll end up feel like we're in a shouting match, but somebody in pulpits across this land need to start shouting because it is part of the narrative. The enemy's trying to silence our pulpits, trying to get the pastors and the preachers to compromise. This is not the time you bring the volume down. This is the time you bring the volume up, somebody, because we're in a battle. It's a fight. Who can, now? You'll understand why the volume has to increase if you understand the spiritual truth. Whoever controls the narrative controls the person or the country. So I know as Christians, we like to have good manners. Preachers, you got too good of spiritual manners for the hour in which we're living. Can somebody hear what I'm saying? I know we've got this idea of what a perfect Christian looks like. I know we've got this idea. And there is a way and an idea and a wave we perform and look in peace times. We are in war. This is war times. Can somebody say that? We are in war times. Now watch it. Whoever controls the narrative of the mind is the one that controls the person or the country. Why do we study the Word of God? Why are we here on Sundays? Why do we do this? It's because of the narrative. It's important. Why is it important if we come in here and somebody says something? A lot of people, don't. if you even say amen, do you realize you're contributing to the narrative of the room? Thank you for your amens. <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest with you. It, it, it's more real. I'm not talking about in a figure of speech. Who's controlling the narrative? You're sitting there in a, in, a, in a pew or in a seat, and you can it can feel like that we're here to hear a speaker not realizing you're a contributor to the narrative. There's a spiritual environment that's created because of who's controlling the narrative. So if we come in here with everything else on our minds, of every every narrative of the world, and we bring all of our narratives in here, do you know what? Do you understand what the word focus means when when you if we come in here and magnify God? today. Just take that as an example. We're going to magnify God. All right, that's a narrative. All right, if the narrative is we're going to magnify, if you take a magnifying glass, and everybody takes all of their magnifying glasses, and, and the Son of God's in heaven, the sun where the power comes from, if we all focus it through that narrative of a magnifying magnifying God glass, Have you ever taken a magnifying glass and put it over leaves or something? What happens? Can somebody say it louder? Fire. That's just a true reality. It's just a true reality. It's a spiritual phenomena created by God's Word and His people. So as we come in here this morning, if we magnify God together... Now, trust me, we don't need... Us magnifying, I don't care how strong the magnifying glass is, one person with a bucket of water can put it out. I tell you what I have seen. I have seen the, the power of God be magnified. God be magnified, the presence of God come in such a way that a fire burns. And I've been in meetings and places where somebody will throw water on it. And you'll look at it and say, dang God, I put the fire out. And then all of a sudden you start to see smoke coming again. And what is that? It's that the fire of God is greater than the water that was poured on it. So don't think the enemy's not going to try to pour water on the fire of God. It doesn't mean he can put it out. It'll look like he can put it out, but it doesn't mean he can put it out. So as we gather even in here today and this morning, as we magnify God with the expectation of fire. Can I say that again? With the expectation of fire. Why? Because we have agreed to a narrative that's going to be in this place today. Watch it. The goal of psyops is to control from within. Now I'm talking about with psyops to those of you who just came in. Psyops is a form of warfare that uh, countries and armies have against each other and I'm comparing psyops to the war of the battle of the mind that we're in with the spiritual life. Psyops is mental warfare. In mental warfare, you must understand that you win in advance. Now come on. You got to get this. If you're going to win... In spiritual warfare, you got to understand you win in advance. You don't go in, you don't make your decision after you go in, you make your decision before you go in. In other words, we're planted in God so that our decisions are made up front. So, for those of you that would like to join me this morning, I make a decision in advance that today we're going to focus and worship God. Amen. That's right. That's right. Philippians 3. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, listen. We win in advance. How do we win in advance? It's because I'm leaving those things that are behind. Hey, come on somebody. You can't go and win in advance if you're hanging on to everything that was behind. Come on. Why does Jesus forgive us of our past? It's because He knows we we cannot move forward in victory because we're hanging on to past and that holds us back from winning in the future. You have to let it go. You have to let the cross of Christ cover your past. Why? Because it'll hold you back from winning in advance. And as believers, we need to be used to the idea of we win in advance. That's the Christian lifestyle. We don't wait to see what happens. Now, let's see how this works. How to win in advance. Number one. You choose your feeling before you feel. Come on, somebody. I know, I know a lot of people don't like that and doesn't believe it. Try it. You might like it. It is possible to choose your feeling before you feel. That's exactly right. It's victory. You went. The victory's already won. Or I'm reading my book wrong. Is that true or false? The victory's already been won, so that means we've won in advance. Well, how in the world can we bring ourselves up to that lifestyle? We're waiting to see what happens so we know how to feel. (laughs) Duh. Somebody else is controlling that narrative. Watch it. The mind is a ground where all battles are won or lost. And it is the only battleground that you have full control of from start to finish. Now, a lot of people say, well, Alan, I don't have any control. Yes, you do. The Bible says you, you actually have control of your mind. That's the place of battleground, and you control the narrative. That you, you, intro, you control this internal dialogue. You assign it, and I'm going to show it to you. How do you win in advance? Practice controlling your mind during small challenges. Once you're familiar with controlling your mind and directing your feelings, you are then ready for battle. If you've got, you got a sloppy sloppy mind, I don't need to go to, my, to battle with you. you got to get your mess together. Then we go to battle. How do we win in advance? The goal of the enemy is to throw you off emotionally. That's the reason you got to get your feelings under subjection of the Holy Ghost. The enemy's trying to throw you off, how emotionally, so you're going to have this crisis and that crisis and this crisis and that crisis. There again, I give everybody five minutes to be emotional, but you, we got to move. You got to we got to press through it, That's right. and there's a reason. Mental attacks are attempts to defeat you and throw you off battle, off balance. The whole idea is to throw us off a of balance. When we are convinced we win in advance, you can't be thrown off a of balance. You must remain focused on your objective. How do we win in advance? Confuse the enemy with the word of God. This will instill fear in your opponent. Now has anybody thought of that one? Did you know you can make the enemy scared? That's right. I'm tired of the enemy scaring God's people to death. It's time for the word of God to scare the enemy. We, when faced with a mental assault, stay calm. Because the enemy reads your reactions for his next move. Can you hear me? There's a re- He does. He does. If you're falling apart, guess what you're going to run into the next three hours? More information on keeping you falling apart. If you give him the Word of God, I'll tell you what will happen to the information flow. It'll stop. The enemy's trying to control the narrative, but he can't make it past the Word of God. He can make it past your human reasoning, but he cannot go past the Word of God. Our enemy is a bully. Can somebody say bully? Our enemy is a bully and will read you like a book. Let him know you are more than able to fight him with the Word of God. Now, that's just the truth or it's not. That is the truth. How do you win in advance? Because we got the Word of God. we got the truth. You cannot be in bondage and carry the truth. Truth sets you free. Watch this. Now here's how we win in advance. Bullies smell fear in advance upon their prey when it's present. Why is he trying to send these things the spirit of fear? It's because he can smell it. Bullies also smell strength and power and will leave you alone or obey your commands. Be the person who radiates the glory of God. And Colossians says this, to whom God would make known what is the riches of His glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that will make any demon in hell shatter. That's the truth. I want you to see this. How do you win in advance? Now, here's what we've got to understand. The way you win in advance is you're stronger than you think you are. Did you know that? We all feel weak and all the above and we're not worthy. Now, I get all that. But you're still stronger than you think you are. Well, look at this. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ, which does what? So my strength is through who? Through Christ. So hey, guess what? I'm stronger than I thought I was. Huh? Always, always, always. Now look at this one. You know more than you think you know. Now, what do you think about that one? What do you do with the Word of God? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That makes you pretty smart, doesn't it? Now listen, that mind of Christ will operate in you. But you've got to understand how Christ thinks. Christ is thinking from the standpoint that He's already won. Can somebody hear me? I know that bends our psyche just a little bit. It's okay. But you got to start considering that truth as we mature. Listen, it's going to take more anointing to move forward than what we've had up to this point. Now watch this. You can do more than you think you can. I can do how many things? All things. All things through Christ with strength. So there's how you win in advance. You're stronger than you think you are. You know more than you think you know, and you can do more than you think you can. Does anybody believe that? Yes, sir. Yes, sirree. That's the truth. Now look at this. I believe we're moving in a time of the psyops and what's happening. We're living in a day, I believe, of modern-day Elijah's. Elijah's. Now, I'm going to show you in Scripture. It's the anointed attitude. Come on, you missed a wonderful place. Just give me an amen. Thank you. It's an anointed attitude. We want to be anointed, but did you know that your attitude is to be anointed? There you go. Now, watch it. Now, we had this, we got this Elijah. You say, well, Alan, how does that work with us? Elijah won in advance because of his discipline, passion, and faith in God. Elijah won in advance because of his discipline, passion, and faith in God. Faith, now, watch this faith is an act of knowing in advance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Why? why? That's what faith is. Faith is knowing in advance. Is anybody getting it? Say, Alan, I'm getting it. Faith is an act of knowing in advance. And our faith is in the Word of God that cannot lie. But you you got to understand something. There's there's one thing to be introduced to the truth, and there's another thing to be convinced of truth. We got to go from a knowing to a being. Got to go from a knowing to a being, and you got to be before you can do. Watch this. I like that little fire little fire picture there. Amen. Here's what it says to Malachi. Look at this, 4-5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord. You see that? Now we know that 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 was said. We know that there's actually going to be two comings of Christ. The first coming, which we're all aware of, had John the Baptist, and I'll give this scripture, came in the spirit of, 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 of Elijah. But keep in mind of this thing, the spirit of Elijah. Everybody with me? Keep in mind, follow with me. The spirit of Elijah. This prophecy was fulfilled the first time 2,000 years ago with the appearance of John the Baptist just before the first coming of the Messiah. It is now being fulfilled for the second time before the second coming of the Messiah during these last days. That's that's Bible. You got to get this, prophetic people. The spirit of Elijah was present at the first coming. Now get with me. The spirit of Elijah will be present at his second coming. And we know we're in the last days, so we know that same spirit of Elijah is here. Hallelujah. That's good. That's right. That is exactly right. Now, watch this one. It's in Luke 1, 15 says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the, the Lord from their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and take make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Does anybody see that? Now, I want to point out something right quick. I'm not going to stay there long. I don't have but a few minutes. A lot of people today and Christians believe it's fine to drink wine, beer, whatever. It's asked to me all the time, and I say no. i say this. If you're a prophetic person and you want to go under the power and the spirit of Elijah, Elijah you don't need to have any strong drink or nothing at your mouth. That's the reason I say no, if you want to walk in the prophetic spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist, he couldn't even have none of it. Does anybody see that? I don't need to stay there. Now watch this. The spirit of Elijah is coming upon the church in these last days. Somebody say amen. Amen. The spirit of Elijah was present at Christ's first coming and will be present at his second coming. We are now in the last days, and uh, watch this. And the Lord is restoring the spirit and power of Elijah to His disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God with power and authority to those that are living in darkness. That is what's going on. That is what is going on. That's what is offered to the church of Jesus Christ today. We've got to grab hold of this thing. We've got to get, grab hold of our emotions, of our discipline, of our faith. We've got to bring these things under the, the subjection of the Holy Spirit of Christ. Now watch this one. What would unimaginable boldness look like today? Ah, man, that's right. What would it look like? Elijah had what I put unimaginable boldness. Can anybody see that? Now, a lot of times in the church today, we're wanting to just be sweet and nice and all that, and I'm all for all that, but you need to have that plus unimaginable boldness. Yes! Elijah went before the prophets of Baal. He stood, he had, uh, he called all of Israel up. You see, you got to understand something. Israel was having a bad problem. I believe that's where we are today. I believe this boldness is now being restored to the last day church to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to those people who like the backslidden Israelites of Elijah's day are resistant to the gospel. What must we do to receive such boldness? Is anybody interested? Just like Israel, we must repent of our unbelief and our worship of false gods. That's the problem. We must repent. If you want to walk in the power and the anointing of Elijah, first thing you do is repent. You say, well, Alan, I don't know what to repent of. Well, come to me, I'll give you a few of mine. There's plenty to go around. Ask the Holy Ghost. He will show you. It's re- We're to repent of unbelief. You say, well, Alan, I don't, I don't need to repent of anything. What are you holding God back on in your life? Watch this. It is from understanding the supernatural authority and power the Lord has given to those that follow Him. Now that is real and that is true. The power of God in all of our lives is to restore our lives so we can walk in the purpose in which God put us here. If you walk in that purpose... There lies your anointing. The enemy does not want you to walk in your purpose because you will miss your anointing. Watch this one. Now, I've talked about a personal narrative and then a narrative of a country. Let's look at the United States here right quickly. Let's say that Elijah came on the scene today. What do you think his message might be? You remember that? What is that a picture of? Everybody sees that. What do you see a little lower than the Twin Towers right in the middle? Freedom. Statue of Liberty. I thought that was a very prophetic picture. How long halt ye between two opinions? Now, the story about Elijah to Israel was how long will you stagger in these two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. The message of Elijah, this was not necessarily about Jezebel and Ahab and the false prophets of Baal. This was about the nation Israel. The nation Israel had turned their hearts from God. So Elijah said, how long will you halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, if Baal follow him. He was saying that to Israel, not to Jezebel. It's First Kings 18, 21. Then something happened. Same message. How long are you going to stay between these two opinions? You're going to follow God or Baal? I know a lot of people don't like it, but I can't help it. That's a wake-up call to the United States. Follow Christ. Now watch it. Now Here's Elijah. There are just a few things. Elijah is born in Tishberg, uh, Gilead. Ahab became king of Israel. 873, and King Ahab builds an altar of the temple of Baal. That was 873. 870, Elijah warns King Ahab that God will send a drought that will last for several years as punishment for worshiping Baal. I mean, a lot of people say, well, God's not doing anything. To God, I'm like, eh. when, when we follow Baal, God tries to, he does love his people and he tries to get our attention the place that our country is in today and what's happening is to get our attention. Not, not the lost people's attention, the saved people's attention. You got to understand who, who this message is to. It's to the nation Israel. Now watch this. God instructs Elijah to hide in the near brook at Cherith where the ravens would feed him. Y'all, y'all remember that story, I'm sure. I'm just going over a little bit of uh, introducing you. I mean, when God fed Elijah the, with the ravens, he, he gave him provision. God instructs Elijah to go uh, to the widow inside him. Y'all remember that one? Elijah brings back a light, brings back to life the widow's dead son. You remember that story. So he raises the dead, right? You got to understand something. That spirit is going to be here now, right before the second coming. The reason I'm showing you about Elijah's life, is that's what's going to be available now. God instructs Elijah to talk to King Ahab. God's going to instruct people to talk to leaders. That's right. With the challenges. I know a lot of people say, well, Alan, you need to be nice when you do it. Elijah wasn't that nice. Now listen, well, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Elijah meets Obadiah on the way and tells appearing tells of appearing before King Ahab. He was saw the uh, Obadiah prophet and said, "Hey, tell King Ahab, I'm on my way." Obadiah tells King Ahab about Elijah, and King Ahab prepares for this meeting with Elijah. So here you got Ahab, Jezebel, uh, uh, the ro- royalty, if you will, of Israel. They're to be leading the people of God in the ways of God. They have abandoned God. Ahab actually built a, 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 this statue of Baal there. And uh, so anyway, uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel ruled Israel and did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, do the parallel between us and, this, and our country. You say, well, this is our leaders. Now, listen. You can be an Ahab and a Jezebel in the United States and in our government. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, it's wrong. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him, it says in 1 Kings. That, that's what he pulled off. He built a temple for a pagan god named Baal and rejected the Lord as the one true God. Elijah went into hiding because Ahab blamed him for a devastating drought. And Jezebel hated Israel's God so much that she massacred most of his prophets, except for Elijah and 150 who hid in a cave. Now, there again, right before the second coming of Christ, you will have with you this spirit of Elijah. I will get into it more as, as we go on because that same spirit will try to be duplicated by the Antichrist. That's what happens. Now, I put here, and I'm going to have to stop, but Elijah and the freedom of speech. He didn't have a better problem with freedom of speech. Elijah challenges King Ahab and Baal's prophets to show the people who the real God is. That's in 1 Kings. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab And told him. And Ahab went to Elijah. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubled Israel? And he answered, I have no trouble with Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now here's the point. I'm going to have to stop here as I move forward. We are living in a time. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And also right before the second coming, you're going to have poured out the spirit of Elijah. The spirit of Elijah are those prophets that will tell the truth. You'll speak to kings. You'll speak to leaders. You're to live a life out loud about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are living in a time that the narrative of Balaam, the narrative of of the dark side is being shouted from every possible way on the planet. It is a time for God's people in these last days to rise up. And we're to shout our narrative. Victory. If God's touched your life, let the world know it. Well, you say, well, Alan, what good is that? Because the narrative controls the environment. Yes! Good, the narrative controls the environment. So let's stand this morning. I'm not closing. We're just beginning. And as we go into the next part of the service, let's keep this in mind. What we focus on is what will develop. A lot of people, listen, Elijah was a man of God that could call down the fire of God. Now, uh, let me give you just a little, get focused here just a minute what's happening. When the fire of God came down upon that altar and burnt up the sacrifice, you know, Balaam, his false prophets, they tried to the, send the fire down. They couldn't do any good at it. Elijah kind of made fun of him. He said, well, you need to hop up and down or maybe he's went on, Maybe your God's went on a journey. You've got to understand, Elijah mocked them. That's pretty bold. And something happened. When Elijah called for the fire of God, guess what? The fire of God came down on the sacrifice. Now, you've got to understand something. Fire always burns up something. And in these days of Elijah, as in the days of Noah, the fire of God fell on the sacrifice instead of Israel. Anybody get that? The fire of God fell on the sacrifice and not on Israel. So when we call the fire of God in, we understand that the fire of God was upon the cross of Christ and He spared us. His wrath. We escaped his wrath because his fire fell. So I pray that his fire will fall in here this morning. That we might rejoice of the sacrifice of the cross of Christ. That we, as being sinners, can walk free in forgiveness. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. It's our prayer, oh God, that your fire would fall in this place. Hearts would be changed. Lord, we proclaim that this is your day. This is your day that you've made. We will rejoice. We'll be in it. And we will not be afraid of your fire, to change the hearts of people. Let the narrative that comes out of this place be heard from here to heaven. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all of those that agreed said, Amen. Amen and Amen.